A student asked me a question on Monday, and I thought I was, I've been thinking about it since she asked. And the question was, why did God make the world? Um, it's a question that, that's so big and so almost obvious that we never really think about it. God is the primary doer and actor throughout the scriptures and throughout history. And I think I, I very rarely pause and ask the question, like, why? Um, if, you, if you're like movies or any kind of story, motive is pretty essential, right? A person who does stuff, they want something. And it's their, it's their motive that results in their action. And I don't know, as I, I, as I often think about, like, why? Why did God make? And not just make, but, but why instead of nothing at all? I assume God is perfectly content I just imagine something that I can't imagine, but this triune God, fully satisfied in God's self and God's company, and like, why make at all? Um, maybe just actually take a minute and chat with the person next to you, like, what do you think? I don't know, this is like, obviously the, the, the answer is maybe above all of our pay grades, but what do you think? Just talk really quickly with your neighbor. Um, so I am. I teach Bible. I love that you're still talking. Actually, I'd like to just walk around and listen because that's really cool. That sounds like you have some good ideas. Um, I love the scriptures. I teach Bible. One of my favorite chapters is the very first chapter in in the Bible, and this is where this young lady and I said, "I, I don't." That's a great question. I'd love to think about that, but just went to, to the very beginning of the Bible. I wish sometimes there was a, a Genesis zero, right? Where we could start with like God, like, hey, you know, I'm bored, or whatever. And, um, but Genesis 1, I, I do this, I think it's pretty good. Um, this is the very first image in the Bible. Uh, this is the, oh, I get to, we get some light on it here. Not yet. Um, this is the very first image in the Bible. And maybe you probably know. Let's just read it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love this beginning. I mean, it's so cool that you've got this, this chaotic swirling, all these waters just gushing and and. God looks at this and says, oh man, like this is this is needs some work. There's there's no form and it's just empty. This the, the two, it's kind of this two-pronged problem: formlessness and emptiness. And the Genesis 1 is God addressing this problem really fairly like in an orderly manner. The first three days, um, when you read the account, the first three days, God is addressing essentially the, the formlessness of this. 
Um, and so he begins by, by creating forms or spaces. It's really fun to just draw, or, or uh, we'll do it here in just a second. It's really fun to, to try to imagine this, but God makes a series of spaces. Um, and the first, God says, let there be what? Light. And he calls it what? He, call, he calls it good, and he also names it. Day. day. Good. He says day. And then he separates the light and the darkness, and the darkness he calls night. 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 Good. And then he keeps going, and he's going to separate day two. He moves waters around, and he's pushing it aside. And we've got the, the waters below, which he calls you guys are three for three. Can you go all the way? Uh, and then the water's above. It's kind of a weird thing, but it's like the picture God pushing these waters above, and he makes this dome to keep the water up there, and he calls it what? Sky. Good. And then on day three, he makes this kind of like these two categories of land, two different types of land. And so day one, two, and three, God makes these spaces, right? Now, you can imagine God with, with a marker going, check, there's form, but it's still empty. And so you, you see God, you know, in this chapter, first chapter, we got walking back to these buckets or baskets he's made, and, oh boy, I've got a marker, and he starts to fill these spaces that now have form, and so, you know what, well, I'll just hold, well, on. hold it. That's what I was going to say if somebody... You've got this. Thank you. So a round of applause for Jamie, everybody. Thank you, Jamie. Here, we'll move this way just to here so we can be out of the light. Uh, day, day four, he goes back and we've got this day space and this night space. And what does he put in these spaces? Well, he puts the sun in the day. And in the night, he puts the moon and stars. And you don't even have to know the order to guess what comes next. The next bucket, C bucket he makes. Fish and he fills it full. Ooh, I just drew a bird. <laughs> he fills it and it says it's teeming with fish. He fills it to the brim. And then the sky space, now birds. And the skies are just absolutely full to the brim. And now all of a sudden this formlessness and now the emptiness and God's rectifying in these six days. What's next? The land. And in the kind of, there's two different spheres. We don't have to get too detailed now, but it makes animals. We'll just draw a little deer. Pretty good deer. <laughs> and then, of course, God makes human beings. And it's done. Right? It's done. God's made forms, and he's filled, and... and and it's done. But it's, it's not quite done because God decides, you know, there's one more, one more space I want to make. And, and he makes, well, I'll just use my hand here. He makes one last space and, and he, calls it, he calls it rest or Sabbath or Shabbat, whatever you want to call it here. And, and, and if you've been paying attention to Genesis 1, he makes a space and he fills it. He makes a space and he fills it. He makes a space and he fills it. He just made a space, and we're wondering in the very last lines of this poem, like, what's he going to put in it? What's he going to put in this, in this new hollowed-out space? And, and, and what does God do? He steps into it. God fills this Sabbath space. God rests. Thank you so much, Jamie. I appreciate it. What I love about this about this text and why, frankly, why I often get upset with, with like kind of like the whole debate about, you know, was this science or 
Um, I don't really care to win any debates. I don't, I, I'm assuming I'm wrong most of the time. Um, but, but like, there is a beauty here when you see maybe what the intentions are behind this text, that this is an invitation to meet with God. And this is the very first words of our scriptures, that they open with this call to worship, this call to commune. It's as though I hate to depict God as, as my dog, but my dog, when I come home from work, my dog's just like waiting for me. And that's almost where this poem ends. You've got a God in this new hollowed out space, just like, are you going to join me? And then, of course, the scriptures begin. And how does God do all this? He does it with his word. And, you know, this is the perfect introduction to Torah, right? We, we call the scripture God's word. And we just saw, like, when God speaks, stuff happens. And now God's going to speak as we begin the scriptures. What I love about this text, it doesn't maybe perfectly answer that question my student had. But I think it, it gets me thinking, like, Why? What was this all about? Especially, especially as you experience suffering in your life, you might think, like, was this even worth it? Like, to create rather than to just not? And I go back to this image of a God waiting, a God eager to be in, in fellowship and communion with his people, with his creation. In fact, this is the crown of creation, that all this was like a drum roll leading up to this moment in which God wants to be with his kids. Um, I decided to, to think about a lot with you prayer uh, this year uh, for CEA because, you know, as much as I, I love the scriptures, I love the scriptures, and I love thinking about them and how they work and what they do. And, but at the end of the day, I really, I really do. I believe that the scriptures are inviting us to be in communion, to be in fellowship with the living God. In fact, I think that's the very first chapter. It's trying to communicate this very fact. And so I thought, let's think about prayer together. This is not like an all-encompassing conversation about prayer. I always feel a little self-conscious, honestly, when I, when I think about or talk about prayer with other people because I don't know. I know that my thoughts on prayer are shaped by my experiences and my culture. And, and so this is a really limited conversation on prayer. But I thought, you know, let's still think about this together. I think it's worth doing. I simply want to share some of the things that... Uh, I've been learning over the past few years that I found really valuable when it comes to prayer. And I often, you know, I even thought about, I'm like, should we pray to start? I was like, it's about prayer. And I thought, oh gosh, are people going to be like, we need to pray and a thing on prayer? Like, what kind of crap is that? Or, I didn't know. <laughs> Why did God pray? Maybe God wants more than we think. Maybe God's interested in more than we think. I grew up in Western kind of evangelical Christianity, and I think I think I was maybe shortchanged a little bit on, on an understanding of faith. Like, what is faith? I assumed uh, growing up, and I don't know where it came from necessarily, but like I grew up with the assumption that faith meant like I think all the right things. That God is most interested in me thinking correctly, and if that's the case, and I assumed it was, like prayer was just kind of like, a, like I don't know, like extra credit, I guess. It's like, if you want, you can pray too. Like you can know God also. But like what's most important is that you, you know the right things about God or about the Bible or about X, Y, and Z. 
I was under the impression that God was, was solely after me just checking the right boxes. And I was actually confronted by the scriptures themselves, which is just, it was just such a surprising thing to discover. It was Matthew chapter 25. And you've got one of Matthew's separation narratives where Jesus will encounter people and some will go to his right and some will go to his left. And the idea is like, this is what you want. Like, this is bad, like destruction, some, some pretty harsh language. And, and he uses a bunch of images and metaphors. One time it's, it's wheat and tares. Um, he, he does four or five different, like where it's, you know, we get, oh, it's people. You know, it's actually about people. And uh, in Matthew 25, it's sheep and goats. Right, and the sheep are, are coming off to the right and, and, the, and the goats to the left. I'm reading this, and I'm just, I, I, I have kind of my framework of faith and what it is and what it means in my mind, and I'm, I'm so sure we're going to meet Jesus like at the end of this long line, and he's going to have a clipboard, and he's going to be like, all right, uh, person birth, yes or no? Okay, interesting. Uh, what do you think about, you know, what you describe uh, your perspective on, on the Trinity? You know, oh, okay, interesting. But, I was just sure, like, that's what matters, right? It's like, what we think. And, and, and all of a sudden, you, you meet Jesus at the end of this line. And, and what happens? The ones who go up to his right, he says, he says, oh, yeah, you know, I was naked, and you gave me clothes. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was in prison, and you visited me. It's this long list. And I'm just like, I'm like wait a minute. Like, shouldn't he be asking them what they think? Like, isn't that, isn't that, like, most central? Like, what do you think about X, Y? And I, I think in this process of, of kind of wrestling with this text, I realized he doesn't have to. Like, he doesn't have to. <laughs> in other words, if there's apples on a tree, you don't have to, you know, take a bark sample because it's an apple tree. Right? I mean, imagine how silly that would be. Like, oh, I wonder what kind of tree it is. Well, well there's a bunch of apples. Like, that's what it is. Right? I mean, there's, there's no... There's no questioning. It's an apple tree when there's apples on the tree. And I think sometimes that's given me maybe a different way to think about, and it maybe connects a little bit with, with what uh, David Smith was talking about, that these things go together. They're hand in hand. And I think my understanding of faith was maybe a little one-dimensional at that point. I love how the Bible describes faith in, in some of its earliest chapters. People like Noah or Enoch. It says they walked with God. They walked with God. Here's the idea. If faith is just thinking the right things, then prayer is optional. But if it's walking with God, then faith doesn't happen without communion with the living God, without, without prayer. Um, I would have described prayer probably using the word arbitrary when I was a, a, a young man. Um, just recently, my family, we were on a road trip, and, and while we're in another state, I realized we, I checked out a bunch of library books for my kids, and they were going to expire while we were away. It's like, oh, no. And so everyone was asleep, and I thought, I'll just give the library a call. So I, I dialed the library and speaking to this nice lady on the phone, and I said, hey, would I be able to, to renew my library books um, just over the phone? And she said, oh, I, I'm so sorry, we can't for security reasons. And I said, oh, okay, that, that, that makes sense. And um, hung up and then kept driving. And, and like, it took me like three seconds down the road. I was like, wait a minute. 
And I started thinking, I spent probably 45 minutes trying to fathom a scenario in which you could maliciously renew someone else's books. And I, I'm like trying to fix something like, there's got to be like some scenario in which you like, oh, hey, renew there, Pete the Cat, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. Like, and, and after 45 minutes, I didn't have anything else to do. I'm just driving. I called her back. I'm like, I just can't think of one. And I called her like, excuse me. I was like, look, I totally respect you. You've got rules and stuff. But like, I don't get it. What do you mean? Security reasons. You can't renew my books. And, she's, and she just paused. And she said, yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and she never, she didn't renew my books, and it's fine, I get it. But um, that, that word is just like, like there's just like something like we do that there's not really like a point or a purpose. It's just kind of like what I was told, or that that to me was was about that might be how I would describe prayer uh, growing up. It was it was just there's in fact even have like these moments where it's like pause. And I think that's fine, but to me it was these it was, it was just like a kind of a side thing that was not essential. Not important, nothing that brought life. And I think in the last 10 years or so, my understanding of prayer has been so entirely flipped upside down to the point that I don't know, I don't know what my life would look like without prayer. I don't. It's become vital. My journey, part of my journey, I guess, began with a Martin Luther quote that kind of punched me in the face. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And I remember thinking that, being like, ooh. Because <laughs> I would certainly be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, like, of course. But, but like, there's no, there's no life of prayer. I don't, I don't even know what that would look like. And it was this challenging moment to say, like, wait a minute, if, if, if in, at least in Luther's estimation, that, you, you, that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as Christianity without prayer. Like, what does that mean? And it began in me just this really simple prayer, ironically, that was, was God, like, teach me how to pray. I believe him, and, like, I see that this is something. I just don't know what or how. And that was maybe the beginning about a 10-year discovery of what does it mean to, to pray? What does it look like? And I know I'm just at the beginning of this journey, but I thought, hey, there's a few things I've learned along the way that have been at least valuable to me. Frankly, probably none of this is new to you, so you, you may still leave if, if you'd like. Uh, but, you know, John 15. John 15 is just a beautiful image where Jesus describes... It's maybe a picture of discipleship, but you've got this vine that's connected, excuse me, this branch that's connected to this vine, and in its connection to the vine, it bears fruit. And that's just the simplest image ever, but I, it, I love it. And it's, it's really, it's continued to, to give me a picture of what it looks like to live in connection with the living God. Like, what does it look like? I love that image, and that's pretty much all I'm going to say, telling a number of stories and maybe a couple ideas or suggestions, but essentially that is the point. That image Jesus gives of a branch connected to the vine that bears fruit. We'll talk a little bit about teaching in particular, but um, I really, I, I don't know, you know, someone said, oh, it sounds kind of like a personal topic. And yeah, it is. I, I've never been good at, at at dividing personal and professional super well. 
um, like, I guess I'm a human being, and like I am in the classroom, and I don't know, it, there seems to be overlap in my mind. So uh, we'll talk about classroom from time to time, but frankly, a lot of this comes down to, I want my students to become people who know the living God, not just know about the living God. And, and at, at the very least, I've got to model that first. And, and that's what prayer is all about. Prayer, I think, is maybe uh, and it's simple as just like a reflection of the relationship. Right? If you've ever maybe eavesdropped on a conversation, my wife and I love to go out to eat when it's like kind of prom season. Um, this is just, it's, I just absolutely love sitting near a table where there's someone on like a first date for this formal event. And I love, my wife will like try to talk about, shh, let's just, like, let's just listen. This is too good. They're talking about their favorite colors. You know, like, you're gonna, it's just like, oh, and, and, and you just listen and it's like, yeah, you can put a blindfold on me and I say, this is probably a first date because like we're all very uncomfortable by the, the lack of conversation happening here. Um, Oh, my, my wife and I first day was pretty bad too. Um, we, I asked her. I asked her. Uh, we were just oh, so terrified, and, and we just got married really quickly because I hated dating. So, uh, on our very first day, I was like, "So, you know, like, uh, what are some hobbies?" And she she said, uh, uh, "Going to Florida." And I said, "What?" <laughs> I was like, do you do that a lot? She's like, oh, like every three or four years we go. And I was like, that's not what a hobby is. <laughs> <laughs> no. So again, you <laughs> yeah, and I made spaghetti for her. That was part of the problem. I had no sauce or butter. I grew up, I was raised by wolves, so we didn't, have, we didn't do sauce or anything. And a cup of water. It was like a, yeah, anyway. And she, yeah, she said, uh, do you have any sauce? And I'm like, oh. High maintenance check here. <laughs> well, we got married, so anyway, it worked out. Maybe you've heard a conversation where, where just listening, you don't even need to see the people, but just listening, you think like, oh man, these two know each other and know each other well. Um, maybe you've even heard like an angry conversation or a hurt conversation. You think like, there's like a relationship underneath this. You don't often have those conversations with somebody you just met or trying to be really polite with. And tuning in to the conversation, I think, is at least one indicator of the level of depth of that relationship. And the question I sometimes think about is, if I was to tune an ear, even to, and I don't, like, I don't know if I like the term prayer life, but I'll say it anyway. If I was to like listen in on my life of prayer, like what, is it, what does it indicate about the relationship that I have with the living God? I like the Psalms. The Psalms are fun because, like, you put your ear to the Psalms and be like, "Whoa, they, they know each other," and it's not always nice, but then they know each other. And, and man, um, sometimes I'm a little nervous, and, and I get there's like a weirdness about praying with other people out loud, and especially in school. So I don't mean to be critical, of certainly of our students or of ourselves, but like sometimes I listen. I'm just like, "Oh, like we don't know each other." We don't know. We don't, at least we don't, don't sound like we know God. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, what does prayer indicate about the, this relationship that we have with God? I, I wrote a poem recently um, after a conversation with my grandma. My grandma, when I was just a little guy, my grandma, I noticed like she prayed really weird. And you don't have to pray like this. I'm not saying that, but like my grandma, she would like smile, and she and she would 
like, I just watched my grandma, you know, as a little kid with my eyes open. Um, I just, like, watched my grandma and listened to my grandma. Like, she, I, I don't think I would have said this at the time, but it was like, this lady knows God. <laughs> he knows her. Um, so I recently wrote this poem. This isn't, like, an actual conversation we had, but uh, it, it kind of hopefully expresses a little bit of what she's taught me about prayer. I asked her, Grandma, does prayer even work? And by my asking, she could tell I wanted progress, productivity, results. Does prayer even work? Hmm. She told me she was confused by my question. She asked, do you mean, is prayer the rake that breaks the soil of a hardened heart? Is prayer the placing of one's life on the potter's wheel to be shaped and smoothed by his kindness? Are you asking if prayer is climbing into the ring with God's heavyweight heart to be pummeled by his mercies, overcome by his compassion, till you care even for your enemies? Is prayer the breath with which you plunge beneath the turbid surface of your soul to find just what it is you're wanting and to hold it up to God? Is prayer the way this poor fisher of men lays down her tangled heart like a knotted lure to be sorted out by her papa? Is prayer the labyrinth path into the presence of God to be still and quiet? Is it meandering in the heart of Christ? Is it the silencing of inner lies, the closing of tabs, the refutation of mistrust, the renewal of eyes and ears and heart? She asked me, do you mean is prayer a fountain to wash in, a garden to eat from, an orchard to work in, a vineyard to walk in? Is prayer the tent in which the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the little life of a man and by dwelling there makes the man his mansion? If by does prayer work, you mean can prayer animate a corpse with the very breath of God? Is it the marriage of heaven and earth? Does it entwine my soul to his? If so, then I can tell you, prayer works. Now that, that's not to say prayer's not like how we typically think of works. I don't mean that, but I think as a kid, maybe almost the image of a buffet, <laughs> with a buffet, this beautiful buffet, and like, I only would ever eat the chicken fingers, you know, it's like just the classic kid, boy, just pounding chicken fingers, and, and mom said, there's other stuff, too, it's like, oh, I'm good. Um, I, I, I don't know, I almost think of prayer, uh, I, I constantly hear, like, requests, or what we call supplication, and, and my grandma reminded me that, that prayer is actually this entire world of knowing the living God and living and doing life with the living God and listening and speaking and knowing and being known. And I don't think I'd ever thought of prayer in those terms before. <clears throat> so blah, blah, blah. Here's one little practical thing that, that have, has really, I think, maybe transformed my, 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 my praying. And it's, it's very simple. Um, I just started writing years ago in a little journal. Uh, something about writing, I don't think this is like, oh, you know, I can't give you a, an infomercial that this is going to transform your whatever. But I really have found just the simple practice of writing has done something powerful personally to the way I pray and the way I speak and listen to God in prayer. <clears throat> and just 
three ideas, three things I've learned about praying from this practice of prayer journaling. The very first one sounds a little ris risque. I, it, it, it didn't sound as bad when I wrote this down, but um, prayer is a kind of like getting naked. That, that, that should have been my title. I think we would fill the whole room with just, uh, spiritual nudity or something like that. Um, and, and what I mean, <laughs> what I mean is, is like we wear so many layers, right? I mean, we, my, my, my little, uh, my daughter, she's four, and the other day we we're just starting to like dabble in letting her dress or something. It's not going well yet, but um, the other day she, she came down and said she had like five shirts on, five pairs of underwear, but like, uh, just like, honey, what are you doing? She's like, I don't know, just I liked them all, so put them on, like, okay. Um, and, and, you know, I almost feel like this image is such a perfect picture of me most of the time. There's all these layers, all these, all these, like, ways of covering and hiding and being somebody else or performing or... And prayer, maybe at, like, just this raw, what is prayer? It's, it's learning to, to take off some of those layers and to stand before God, bare, and say, here I am. Um, that's actually harder than you'd think. Um, I like these little Russian doll here. Uh, I imagine prayer to be this, this process of saying, like, okay, what's, what's under that? And, and what's under that? And, and there's something underneath that, too. And, 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 there's, and so this, for me, takes actual time. Um, and it's no different in my relationship with my wife, right? I mean, sometimes, too, I'm just like, frustrated about something. We start talking, and it's like, I don't even know what it is. But as we talk and process, and she asks questions, and I, uh, and then there's like something. There's like something down there. There's something. And, and prayer, uh, maybe one way to think about prayer is to say, like, oh, here. Uh, my daughter Reagan, she loves she loves villains in stories for some reason. Like she's she's drawn to you know Ursula and all those kind of creepy people and octopuses, I guess. But uh, she she uh, she loves the she loved the big bad wolf story. And I told her time and time again. And um, the problem is she's like fascinated by the bad character, but she's also scared of them at the same time. You know, so it's this, um, so not too many days ago, she came downstairs. She was supposed to be sleeping. And I could tell she was crying. <laughs> and she came to me and she says, Dad, is our, do we have a brick house? <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry now. Uh, <laughs> and like, just so you know, we don't. Which <laughs> 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 made it tricky, right? <laughs> I just straight up lied to my daughter. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, we got such like we got the freaking biggest brick house you ever seen, child. Like... <laughs> Cause what's weird about that question is that's not her question. <laughs> right? She thinks that's what her question is. But like she doesn't even know that's not your question. Um, there's there's something underneath that, right? You don't care what our house is made of. <laughs> You're asking, you know, it's just like, are we safe? <laughs> Am I safe? Because she's asleep, she's in her bed by herself, and it's dark, and she's like, what's our house made of? And I think, man, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. I so often, 
there's like something going on at the surface, and I very rarely, I mean, it's crazy how infrequently I'm aware of what's actually underneath or what my actual question is. It's kind of like maybe um, bringing a present to a birthday party. My wife is just a rock star. She, she like does all that stuff for us and it's so helpful. She buys the gift, wraps the gift, and I get to be the fun uncle who comes to the birthday party. I'm just like, what? And, and, and my nieces are, uh, come and they say, well, uh, what's in there, Uncle Brian? I was like, don't you want to know? You know, like, I've got no clue, honestly. I'm just holding it. Um, I think that's often myself in prayer. <laughs> I come before God, like, maybe with, like, my heart or something. Like, God, here's who I am. And I actually have no clue what's in there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know. I mean, it's funny because if there's something outside me, like a, a zit or something, right? it's like you, you identify it right away, or like this, and then you deal with it typically like right away. And yet, if there's something going on beneath the surface, it's amazing how there's been times where I've been months just like off. And not until I take the time for me to, to actually just write and to come before God, like, God, I don't know, like, I, I kind of like bit my friend's head off. Like, what is going on? I just like start come before God, and it's almost like I'm just like taking off these layers, and by the end it's just like, oh. One of, my, one of my very favorite prayer prompts, in fact, this is maybe the beginning of every prayer I've ever prayed, whether I knew it or not, there's this story in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve, they've eaten the fruit, they realize they're naked and they hide. It's just, it, to me, it's just one of the most tender images in the scriptures. You've got this God who, you know, like we actually believe he knows like most things, all things, you know. And it's like he knows where they're hiding, right? And, and yet we have this God who's walking around the garden going, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? I, I just almost cried just thinking about that. Um, I, crap, I got stuff down here. <laughs> There's this God who's just like, where are you? Where? And he knows. <laughs> but there's something, there's like some relational difference when Adam and Eve are able to say, like, we're here. And I, almost, I, I love that as a prayer prompt. Maybe it's just like, I don't know where to begin. I never know where to begin when I pray. I love, let God ask the questions. He actually asks a whole bunch of them throughout the entire Bible. I love those as prayer prompts, like beginning the conversation that God says, hey, Brian, where, where are you? Um, like, I don't know. It takes some time. And, but finally, I think through prayer journaling in particular, I've been able to say, like, here, right here. You've probably done that before, right? Maybe with different forms of writing where you write, and you don't even know what you think until you start writing, and then you're like, oh, wow, yeah, there's like something here. There's something underneath. And again, I think the Psalms do this so well. Um, sorry, I've maybe told too many stories to highlight this idea, but um, my, my two-year-old Avery, we, we went pumpkin picking the other day, and she, she we don't always know what she's saying, because she's two, so she says all kinds of things, and I'm always, I ask her sister to, to, to translate most of the time, like, what did she just say? It sounded, sounded like something crazy. And, um, the other day, after picking pumpkins, I put her in her car seat, and there's always stuff in our car, right? It's just a mess. And... Uh, I always check her car seat to make sure I don't put her on something. So I look, there's nothing there. I set her down. 
and I get in the car, and we start driving, and Avery's just screaming, like she's just screaming. And I pulled over, like she's screaming so crazily. I'm like, what's up? What's wrong? And, and, and she said something. I had no clue what she said. And she's just like, blah, blah. I was like, honey, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's wrong. And kept driving. She kept screaming. So finally, I pulled over again. Well, come to find out, she had this little dress on, okay? And she'd put a pumpkin in her pocket, one of those little pumpkins. And when I went to put her down, it, it slipped underneath. And she was sitting. There was this pumpkin, like, under her, her booty, you know, in this car seat. And then I, like, crushed her against it. And so she's just like, ah! You know? And as I'm driving home, I'm just like, that's me so much of the time, and, and my prayers become like, God, I know I've got pumpkins in my pockets. Uh, 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 but like, I don't actually know what's wrong. Like, I, I don't, I'd probably let go of my touch now, but, um, and, and prayer has been a way of, of, of identifying some of those things, and tell me that doesn't come out in your career, right? I mean, I, I, do you all know who Ray Vanderlaan is? Yeah, because he's famous, that's why. Um, I work with him in the same department. And, and I'll tell you what, um, this may be embarrassing to say, but um, there's been plenty of times where I mean, people come to our school to hear Ray, right? And like, oh man, you guys are so blessed to have Ray. And Ray does nothing to, to like, he's so good at like, he's one of the most humble human beings I know. But he can't help this popularity, right? And here I'm sitting here as a, I'm like, I teach Bible, you know, and like, and people are just like going to his lecture, like talking about it, and and then I'll start class and, and oh, you know, people, I'm just like, oh gosh, I suck, you know. <laughs> uh, and it sounds so silly, but but like that thought is very rarely on the surface. It's almost always like. I've even caught myself like thinking like, oh, that lesson wasn't any good, Ray. <laughs> yeah, one of yours sucked, so, yeah. And then it's like, wait, what am I doing? And all of a sudden, like, you take off a few layers, and it's, oh, I'm a middle schooler. That's what's going on. Um, and that's okay, but, like, I just like to be, hey, God, I'm insecure. <laughs> or, God, I'm jealous. What's crazy is I can go months and never even realize <laughs> I'm jealous or I'm insecure. There's like a, there's like a fear. And, and again, so the practice of prayer journaling has forced me to, to kind of go there with some things. I think what goes along with that perhaps is, is pray, praying has resulted in, in, in incredible healing for me in a number of areas of my life. But that begins oftentimes with addressing the hard stuff um, that often goes unaddressed. Um, I live in Holland. I'm going to just move this so I don't step on it. Um, I live in Holland, Michigan. It's like so nice. It's just like the cleanest place. And like I'll walk down the streets and, and I'm a garbage. I come from a, a garbage background. Like my great grandfather was a garbage man and my grandpa was a garbage man and my father and brothers are all garbage men. And so like I'm always like looking for trash. That sounds weird. But like as I'm walking downtown Holland, I'm like, where? It struck me when I'm like, where's our garbage? Like, where is it? And like, I don't know, it just, I just had some time. So I just, I like walk behind buildings and like, there is no trash anywhere. Like, where is the garbage in this city? And, and finally, like, I realized there's these big, like, beautiful brick walls behind our buildings, downtown Holland. And I was like, wait, what's back there? And I just kind of like shimmied up on one of these, like, there's the garbage, I found it. Um, 
And then, I don't know, it's just a dumb metaphor, but right? I mean, it's like, yeah, human beings, we're so good at like, put the trash back there and like, hide it. Because <laughs> we don't have trash. Um, there's nothing to see. I mean, I, may I do that in my relationships? Maybe I get, that's the power of, of like a real community, right? It's like you can, you can be like, oh, I've got trash back here. And people are like, oh, yeah, we got trash too. And come to find out everybody got trash, but we just didn't know because we had these walls. And um, in prayer, this sounds crazy, but like in prayer, I think I've got these walls built up, but it's like nothing to see here, Lord. <laughs> and, and, and I've learned the gift, oh, the absolute gift of confession in prayer. I've learned, oh, my goodness. Confession and, and freedom are so incredibly linked to come before God and say, oh, that jealousy, whatever. And, and, and I'll often say this to students, like you really don't have another option besides praying where you actually are. Like you actually can't start anywhere else. Um, so if that's like a place of like hurt or, or, or fear or anger or or, or I don't know that this whole thing's real. You actually have to start there. You have to start with like, God, I don't actually know you're real. I kind of am skeptical, frankly. Like, you have to pray that because anything else would be not you. It's not you actually praying. It's someone else showing up to the, to the conversation. Uh, and that's been challenging, I think, to learn, but then to actually own and, and to, to live into. And again, I think the Psalms are such a powerful model of this. There's some like crazy stuff in the Psalms. Psalm 137 is just this brutal, the psalmist is, is, is expressing this desire to smash his enemy's babies against the rocks. Like it's like, huh? Like, are we supposed to do this? I think it's in there. I think God, in fact, maybe wants that in there as this model of like, like you have to, you have to pray like this. If you're there, you have to pray there. Um, I learned this when I became a dad for the first time. Everyone kind of uh, shaped my expectations. That I, I thought I, I thought being a dad would just like change my love for God. Everyone said that that it would just make me love God more. And like the opposite happened for some reason. Um, I had I had all kinds of anger when when my daughter was born that I just was caught me off off guard because I'd known uh, friends who had lost children and had known friends whose um, children had taken their own lives. And, and like, when you experience that love, it just, it, for me, it wasn't, oh, God loves us so much. It was like, this plan sucks. <laughs> like, that people suffer. And I thought about my, my daughter. So, oh, sorry. Oh, gosh. Oh, I need some water. <laughs> it just, this all just seemed like a really crappy idea. And I started to get like really pissed by like people who said like, well, it's all for God's glory. It's just like, that seems really, what? Like, all of this is just collateral damage that I'm glorified? Like, that just seems outrageous to me. And, 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 and it was only, I think I probably would have just never said that if I hadn't had the Psalms as an invitation to say like, bring that to God. And, and, and frankly, I'm often, I often realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm misunderstanding things. I'm, I'm mi but, like, I still have to bring that before God. I still have to voice it. And I, I try to do that humbly and, and knowing that my perspective is so small. But you still have to, you have to go there. 
I'm learning that has, has, has brought about incredible healing, and it's actually resulted in trust that I, I don't think I would have um, if, if it hadn't been for learning to pray and, and, in fact, prayer journal. Oh, last idea. Prayer, prayer journaling, I tried to describe it as like a marathon of character transformation. And I like that word marathon because those are like super long. <laughs> And sometimes I think of character transformation as instantaneous. Um, and yet I, I have discovered, I think, prayer journaling, uh, developing the, a life of prayer um, consistently over, over years and years and years. I, as I look back over old journals, I realized that like this wasn't a means to an end. Praying was the end. That makes sense. That that sometimes I think of <laughs> spiritual disciplines as a means to something else, but I've discovered I think prayer is actually the end. It's the point. It's the purpose. And that process has has brought about I think a lot of real real change. I said at the beginning I, I don't know I wonder who I'd be if if uh, God hadn't started the process of answering that question when I said teach me to pray. Um, and then I fully expect He's going to continue to teach me through the rest of my life, but. There's been, like, my life is different because of commune, communing with the living God, which isn't wildly surprising. Like, you, you hang out with people and you become like them, right? You, you're shaped by them. Prayer, inviting God to be the primary influence in, in, in our lives. I thought maybe before that prayer was about changing God. You know, like, if I, like, pray hard enough, God will change his mind on something, and, and it'll be, like, my way now. And um, I, I really think maybe it's the opposite. I pictured God's heart like a stone, and prayer was just my chisel to be able to change God's heart. I think God has, has, has maybe changed my mind about this, that rather my heart is the stone, and prayer is God's chisel. And as I pray, God is actually up to something, not making him more like me, but shaping my heart to be more like God's. I really value this line that prayer is the way Christ's heart gets into Christ's body, the church. Christ, uh, prayer is the way Christ's heart gets into Christ's body. In other words, I can do all the motions, I can go about this Christianity thing, but it's in these moments of, of like humbling myself before God, of, of experiencing the life that God that God is, that, that actually Christ's heart enters me and the Holy Spirit is up to something in my life. And I think this is pretty evident in the scriptures too. I love when Jesus advises that we pray for our enemies. I mean, that just seems like terrible advice off, off the bat. Uh, pray for your enemies. And I think he knows that, like, that prayer is, is not always like the, the, the means to an end, but prayer is actually the thing. That as you pray for your enemy, something happens in you. That your heart takes a different shape as you come before God. As you step into the presence of God, you take on a new shape. I love Moses encountering God on Sinai. And he comes down the mountain and his face is glowing. Like he's been with God. My grandma, great-grandma was like a hardcore smoker. And whenever I'd leave her house, we'd, we'd all smell like smoke. You know, it's like, you've been bowling or something? And... Um, and, and and it's, I, I, maybe that's not a great metaphor, but um, that idea, like, we've been with the living God. And I don't mean to say that we're not doing life with God 
all the time. Of course. The, the scriptures say pray, or pray continually, pray in a non-stop. But in the relationships I have with the people in my life, I, I, though we do life together, there's always these sacred moments of pausing. My wife and I, we do life together you know, all the time. We're paying bills or raising kids. Or My favorite moment of the day is this kind of sacred few minutes in the morning when I'll pour our coffee and I'll bring her a cup of coffee and we'll sit down and it's just like, oh, hey, <laughs> I'm Bryant. I'm Amanda. She's like, Nice to meet you. <laughs> because we're, we're always doing life together, but there's these, these moments of like, we need to connect. We need to, we need to like look each other in the eyes. And, and I don't know, maybe that's not the way it is, but at this point in my life, I, prayer has become something like that. It's become these moments when it's intentional. Oh, listen, invite God to speak and, and speak. And This idea of being a, a teacher, man, being a teacher, I feel as though prayer has become essential. Uh, even things like praying for students, I am a different teacher to that student if I have prayed for, for him or her. Um, I am a different colleague when I have basked in the favor and love and the grace of, of Jesus. I'm a different friend. I'm a different... Man, I really, I, I believe that learning to pray, and I'll continue to learn to pray, that that is going to be maybe one of the most fundamentally transformative practices in my career as a teacher. And more than that, but not less than that, this quote, I really like this quote from Ruth Haley Barton. She says this, the only way to begin is to keep seeking tenaciously after God through spiritual disciplines that keep us grounded in the presence of God at the center of our being. Then, rather than offering the cold stone of past devotionals, regurgitated apologetics, or someone else's musing about the spiritual life, we have bread to offer that is warm from the oven of our intimacy with God. And I think we can be done. That's good. <laughs>